0: Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts, and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you this evening to the Royal Academy and um, tonight's lecture by Mark Lee. Mark is the founder and principal of the LA-based practice Johnson-Mark Lee that he set up with his partner Sharon Johnson in 1998. Having been born and raised in Hong Kong, he moved to Southern California to USC, um, and then went across to Harvard at the GSD, where he completed his architecture degree. And I think like many practices who came from Southern California, they really made their mark and developed, launched their practice on the back of some quite incredible domestic architecture or residential architecture in the vein and tradition of the case study houses. And you can see that they really developed their architectural language in that context, but I'm pleased to say that they have gone on to develop many other projects across Different scales and different sort of typologies, but I, it was in part, I think, a resistance that the that the practice had to a little bit of the conversation that was taking place in LA, which really separated the relationship of practice from that of of teaching and sort of the academic worlds that in quite a lot of contrast from that of practice. And he has found themselves in a in a interconnecting with a group of architects across the world that really look at the relationship and the interrelationship between practice building and making, and how sort of rich conversation between those three aspects can really enliven architecture. And it was through um, Perzo von Errikals and the Chilean architects, who are also part of ORDOS, that I first came across their work. Um, and you can start to see that they exist on a, in kind of this international sphere, which is quite important i think in the in the context of los angeles and they move very nimbly between the relationship between architectural history drawing upon and popular culture often inviting other disciplines in to the conversation with their work from artists to fashion designers to critics to historians and i think in what we're going to see over the next hour you'll see the sort of richness that comes out of those sorts of conversations So I won't go on any more, but I'll let Mark talk about his work um, and introduce us to, I think, a practice which is particularly special. So thank you, Mark. Thanks. Thanks, Katie.
0: Thank you, Kate, for the uh, generous introduction and the uh, invitation to be here. It's the first time I speak in London. Tonight, I think I plan to show a cross-section of some of the projects that we've done over the last 18 years. Uh, Some quite early projects, some projects that we are in the process of working on right now. Um, I think I like these situations because sometimes we work on projects, we're hyper-specific on what we're working on, um, but looking at it as a, as a body of work, I think one begins to think about larger connective tissues that tie some of these works together. Uh, if I may summarize, I think if I, a few things that are important for us. I think the the context of Los Angeles is important. Uh, Those of you who have been or know the context well, it's really a a city of of houses, a city of objects. It's a very different uh, city than European cities that have a stronger connective tissue. Um, I would say not only until the last 10, 15 years that more public buildings are done by uh, architects of quality, of stature, uh, in downtown LA for example, but most of the architecture of the history of architecture of Los Angeles were a history of single-family houses of, of, the, of the of the private sphere. Um, another thing that is important to us is is uh, a relationship with the arts. The first project we ever worked on was uh, a project in Maffa, Texas or not the first one but the first group of projects was in Maffa, Texas not long after Donald Judd passed away. So we had a, a, a built a relationship with the art community there I uh, uh, made friends with uh, uh, artists in residence, curators in residence that over the years become collaborators and friends that influence our work. And perhaps I think another thing that could one could say about our work is we we tend to focus on one singular idea on, on, the, on the projects that drive our projects. And oftentimes this singular idea is not very apparent in the beginning. Um, but as you develop the project, something takes over and everything subsides and, 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 uh, to that single idea. So um, over the years, I think like many practices, we start off with smaller scale projects, with collaborations, with exhibitions, um, but I, I think our relationship with the art world has also taken us to another scale of projects. Right now we're working on museum scales and uh, uh, art school scale projects that I, I intend to show and also share with you some of the challenges that we face with this increasing of scale. Um, I've selected 10 projects. Um, I'll show them some in more detail, some quite quickly, but I think it'll give you an overview. This is a project, um, uh, it's a Hill House. It was finished more than 10 years ago, and it's situated very close to the Pacific Ocean, not far away from the Eames House, about, I'd say, 150 meters away from the Eames House. Um, It was the last uh, virgin lot on this slope that was not built on, overlooking the valley. And the reason it's not built on is because the the lot is very steep and uneven. And and furthermore, um, the city had made building on the hillside more difficult. Um, with this hillside ordinance this that, that discourage uh, overbuilding on hillsides and areas such as Hollywood Hills So when we started the, the project we get a brief from the city with diagrams that you see above Limiting the maximum height at any given point the maximum height from the lowest to the highest point of the house for instance so rather than seeing this as a policing constraint we thought we can <coughs> Uh, find some design opportunity from it. So uh, conceptually, not unlike what Hugh Ferris did in the 20s when he he began to uh, visualize uh, or three-dimensionalize the zoning code of of New York um, to envision this kind of crystalline city. So step by step, we begin to uh, model this three-dimensional volume on this hillside. On one hand, we want to drive for uh, a maximum buildable volume. On the other hand, we want to have the minimum footprint to reduce the cost of construction or the structure one needs to be uh, to build underground, so it's really a house that was designed from the outside in. Um, we started off with a volume, and then we begin to think about the interior spaces. Uh, um, When we start to think about the openings and the apertures, we want to retain this this tension between uh, extreme bigness and and extreme smallness, the way that the volume is conceived. So we uh, uh, maximize the dimensions of the windows that are facing the views or facing the valley, and we minimize the dimensions of the windows that are facing the the neighbors. So the, the small windows that are very deep, that are recessed and have a poche around it, versus larger windows that faces the, uh, the, the uh, valley. As you approach the house, it uh, seems like a one and a half story house, and it's very blank. It faces a busy street without any windows. And then once when you walk in, um, you see this kind of open living room spaces. Because we built up to the maximum buildable envelope, uh, so we couldn't have any balconies or projections. So it it has a very different indoor-outdoor space that one would expect from the case study houses from the 1950s, where the floor or the canopy of the roof would extend beyond the glass. So instead, on both of these panels, we have three eight-foot-wide glass panels. A sliding doors that could completely open and with the Southern California weather you can keep them open I would say 60-70% of the, of the year. The problem is when a bird flies in, it's very hard to get it out. You know? So it's a, it's a very site specific project. The, the two walls that are slanting uh, are, are perpendicular to the hill so they're both in compression and then the floor above actually holds it in tension almost like pulling the house back. Everything above the two floors are built out of steel. Um, we, during the design process, we decided not to express any of the steel members because with the earthquake code and restrictions, the, there are a lot more steel that's, than, than that's needed. So the steel pieces are very uh, large and a lot of cross-bracing. And, and this house being 150 meters away from the Eames house, I think we express the steel look like a steel house on steroids. So, the only sense that you have that this is a steel house is the the large span, the lack of intermediary support, as in this larger picture, or as well as the cantilevers. It's a very uh, open house with a mezzanine and and, and bedroom above and below, and because of also the 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 structure walls, we are limited in terms of where we can put the openings and the apertures. We were so excited about this approach of. Three-dimensionalizing the Sony envelope, we did it for the entire hillside. And we went back to show the planning department, but they were not as amused as we were. <laughs> but basically, the hillside ornaments become an, a marriage between two systems. One is the, the, the grid of the lots, and then the other is the, the topography. So it's almost like the city of uh, San Francisco. You know, when the, when the grid meets the topography, and neither gives, something extreme could happen. The two like things that we do a lot, I would I would talk more about it in a minute. One is collages, and the other is uh, we deal with photography during the design process. We um, took uh, Julius schuman 's famous photograph of Case Study House 22 um, to as a as a design tool to form this collage. Um, I think this image is uh, so iconic of uh, as a representation of post-war living in Southern California. Oftentimes. Uh, we wonder, like, how much did the architecture contribute to that, that uh, iconicity? And could we, so we ask the question, could we take away the canopy, could we take away the jacuzzi in the foreground and distill the entire image into just this singular corner condition, uh, transparent corner condition in relationship to a distant view? Um, and I, also, I think for us, uh, we realize the importance of the uh, continuity of the of the profile of the house. So, um, this, ha- this house was published before it was built and uh, this collage was published and, and a friend of ours said well you should talk to Julius Schumann who was still alive at that time because otherwise he could sue you for uh, copyright infringement so he organized a meeting and we showed this to Julius and Julius said well I won't sue you if uh, you let me photograph your house you know. so what did what we say it was I think 93 or 94 so these are some of Julius' photographs um, um, we just find this whole process interesting in a way that the house was designed in a way through a photograph, and then again the photographer come in and photographs the house um, and like many pictures of Julius, this is his own chair that he brought this Annie Jacobsen uh, egg chair and and with his assistant, he was meticulous in organizing the curvature of the chair to receive uh, the staircase you know and also we utilize a lot of artificial um, Lighting, you know, underlit lighting. So for us, like working with him those three days and seeing how he photographed the house, you know, opened up new things that we never thought of while designing the house. And he brought some of his furniture too on the on the coffee table. You can't see There's a little uh, Harry Batoya sculpture, like a forest. And then he's uh, inside. There's a little Shiver sculpture. So I asked Julie I so said, Why do you put a Shiver in the middle of a Harry Batoya sculpture? Because I didn't put it. Harry put it. He came to my house and put it. So it's almost like a uh, talking to him was like living history. Yeah. So um, this is a second house um, that was finished a few years later after the Hill House. This is the view house in, in the town of Rosario in, in Argentina, which is about three-and-a-half-hour drive from uh, Buenos Aires. It's situated on the in the Pampas. It's a very flat piece of land, and it's a new development. Um, it was an old uh, ranch or farmland that was turned into a new housing development, a well, development of single-family houses. We know that this house, uh, when we started the design, there's no houses around it, but we know two of the four sides will be occupied by other houses. So we try to preemptively think of where those houses will be and then position our house so that the uh, the way that it's situated as well as the openings will not look directly at the future neighboring houses. Um, it has a very simple uh, spiral circulation, a two-story house, um, and then um, Uh, Every time we turn, we try to situate a window so one one can look out and and reconnect with the landscape. This is the first house that we did outside of uh, the U.S. or outside of Los Angeles. So it was in a situation that we were not too familiar with uh, in terms of the uh, construction and building culture. So um, we we come up with a very simple primitive, which is a marriage between a, a rectangular box and an ellipse, and we basically took four cuts in the corner on four corners. Uh, two of the cuts are straight cuts on, on the singular curved surface, and two of the cuts are fragments of a sphere. So our logic is that if they could... Um, Uh, build the uh, concrete formwork for a sphere or dome, they could easily figure out how to build a fragment of a sphere. So there's a a desire from the client standpoint to have a dynamic looking house, but we're thinking of using very simple um, uh, geometries to achieve that. So uh, this is the model of the house in a way that the house doesn't really have one front facade. It's always quite dynamic. You always see it in a corner or see it in a corner situation and you see how the, the, the apertures or the openings are related to some of these cuts. So um, this is a, it's basically two pores. Now you see the window adjacent to one cut that's a straight cut on a singular curved surface, and the upper one is a fragment of a sphere. Um, we're, actually, we're quite surprised with the concrete quality. I wouldn't say it's Swiss concrete, but I would say pretty close to German concrete. So, uh, so this is, for, for instance, this is... Uh, the space right behind the curve. So you see, we try to bring natural light also uh, through to the room as a supplement uh, light source to the windows. Um, the house you basically circulate all the way around, and then there's an exterior stair that takes you up to the um, uh, roof deck garden. Uh, um, it's very open in the interior, similar to the hill house. Um, this is a, the upper one. is a circulation diagram when we unfold the. the the pathway, you, you, the, the windows are always adjacent to one of these cuts. Like these two, you, see, you can see the kind of checkerboard relationship with the uh, with the uh, the pathway and the openings. This tall house took a while, so some other houses were completed while it was during that construction. So this is a typical push, We push the window back and provides a lot of shade versus a window on the lower floor, which is pushed up against the wall. And then on the second floor, you exit oh. through a stair and then you ascend. Uh, up to the roof tech, and then you see the pompous again. So uh, I mentioned before that uh, so one of the best compliments we had uh, about this house was from a, blog, from a blogger who says, this looks like the, the, the perfect love child between Mario Bota and a septic tank. But uh, for us, I think uh, the, the Mario Bota part is a, is a compliment. Huh? The third house I would like to show was just completed, um, I'd say three, four years ago, and it's the vault house. And it's situated right on the beach on Oxnard, an, an Oxnard, which is just between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. Um, but like many beachside, beachfront conditions, you know, the, 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 the lots are very long and narrow. Um, they're kind of packed like sardines. And uh, most people who build houses there tend to uh, put their living room facing the beach and the bedroom right above. So those, for those rooms are great, but then the rest of the house are dark and you don't want to be there. And furthermore, uh, oftentimes, one has to enter like through an alley, kind of, and and turn quite unceremoniously into into a kind of a beach beachfront property. Um, so our lot is right here. Uh, next to us, there is no lot yet, but we know in in the near future there will be another building there. So we were planning the house uh, uh, with introducing a large opening, a large courtyard in the darkest part of the house, so we'll bring a lot of natural light in but also create a a sense of spatial decompression. So you walk through the alley, you're into a large space, a courtyard first before you actually enter into the house. Um, The second thing we wanted to do is to bring as much of the view, as much air, as deep into the house as possible. So this is an idea model where we gave each room a shape, in this case a, a, a barrel vault shape, and they are, uh, they're packed together like sardines again. Never, they never intersect or overlap, and they're all directed. They're all open on the ends, and they're directed towards the ocean. So this is the, the conceptual model. So we, we have the maximum buildable envelope, we have a series of vaulted rooms, that are open on the edges, and then it all faces the, um, the ocean. So these are some of the um, transverse cross-sections that one sees. Sometimes you see a double-height space, sometimes you see smaller vaulted spaces stacked on top of one another. And uh, the vaults themselves, I would say, geometrically, they're axial, they're, they're symmetrical and axial, but uh, as a collective uh, a volume, a collective uh, series of rooms, they're more directional than, than axial in that sense. So um, I think this diagram shows that even when you're way deep into the house, when you're near the, the road itself, you still very, feel very connected to the view as well as the air. Um, uh, because the house is in this uh, tsunami zone, so part of the house has to be raised in case a tsunami comes. Um, the water can go un- underneath the house, so that the series of houses will not form a dam. So we use the same vaulting systems um, to uh, 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 raise the house. Everything above is built out of steel with cross bracing, and the porch spaces we put the, uh, the heating, the H3AC system in it. Um, we have a double-height space, and then there's the, the master bedroom has to look through the double-height space to for, to get visual access to the to the beach. But on the other side of the master bedroom is the um, uh, the courtyard. So every room has this kind of distinctive uh, characteristic of it, and uh, uh, we we like very much these type of accidents when one room meets another room, and then this this junction between the vaults, um, and then there's some sad accidents like like this one, when suddenly two Gothic vaults begin to appear. Um, on the, on the, on the roadside, actually, it's very contextual. It it's could be a house by Irving Gill or, or Adolf Loos so or something that actually works quite well with the Spanish colonial context of the neighborhood. Um, these two rooms are actually the same size, but uh, uh, same volume. So one, one room is slightly smaller, so we gave it a, a slightly higher ceiling than the other. Um, In contrast to the beachfront, it's much more open and and porous. The windows on the side, uh, we use it for supplementary light, but not for views because we know there will be another house next to it. Um, This is when it was just finished. Um, uh, You can see in the the clear story, there's some clear story windows that takes natural light directly down from above, but also we have rotated the, uh, the vault upside down. Uh, so on one hand, you won't form a groin vault when it intersects the main vault. On the other hand, it, the, the bottom is larger, so it brings more natural light in. Um, this, is, this is the the street side. So you, you walk on a, we even use the, the vault to carve open the, uh, make a wider uh, uh, footpath. You walk to the middle of the house and then you ascend the stairs, and then you walk up into this courtyard. And on one side, you will see the, the library. Um, On the opposite side, you will see the dining room, the kitchen, and and subsequently, uh, you also see the master bedroom above, and subsequently, it leads to the uh, double-height living room space. So this, by the way, is a sculpture, so it's not to human scale. Um, uh, So looking back, you see the master bedroom. You see this uh, upside-down, clear-story light and brings more light in because of the wider top. Uh, It's a funny note. This is a... These are two Frank Gehry uh, fish sculptures, fish lamps that was originally in his uh, Rebecca's restaurant from 19 to mid 80s. Building was torn down and some of the pieces were savage and uh, we're happy that our client bought this and it's back to the beach again, next to the beach again. Here you see the the window looking north and also the other window that brings natural light in directly from above. This is the view from the master bedroom. And this is the view where your back would be facing the two rooms on the street. So you can see, you can look through the courtyard, through the living room, and you still feel very much the um, um, the presence of the beach. This is a, a, a photograph by the artist Jack Pearson. Um, ever since Julius shot our house, um, we have been interested in this dialectic between the built work and then representational images. So after we finish our projects, we have a... Uh, a great architecture photographer who documents our work, but we have also uh, been asking inviting our friends artists who to take our buildings as a subject matter for their work so here, this is a series of work by uh, Jack Pearson, where he photographed the um, the, the uh, vault house and he was interested in the profile of the work. Um, this is a, 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 some works by Louisa Lambry. You know, Louisa's work is highly photographic and oftentimes, like, zoom in on very abstract details. So he was, she was photographing the two corners of the, uh, the hill house. This is one corner, this is another corner. One is convex, one is concave. But she was interested in the material differences and, and these kind of plants that were growing out. Um, th- this is a, some work by uh, James Welling, who photographed a porch house and he was fascinated by the skylight, so he took a series of shots where he was lying on the ground and photographing the skylight. So it belongs, so those who know his work kind of belongs to this kind of uh, lighting series. Um, or the New York-based uh, artist Olivia Corona, who, who photographed our, um, our uh, house in Venice, and she was interested in issues of gerontology and aging, and she did 13 photographs uh, of a portfolio, of a narrative, and she invited these characters, uh, of a story of this couple buying a house, and uh, very sort of surreal images. Um, uh, she was also interested in the proportions of the house, this 2, 4, 6, 8. So in the pictures, there's always uh, one person, two, four, six, 4, 6, or 8 people in the pictures. So um, we, we didn't ask her what to do. We just She was interested in the, the conception of the house, and then she came up with this work. This is a Swiss photographer, uh, Marian Mueller, who did these series of uh, diptychs, uh, some a picture of our work and another picture of another context in Los Angeles. So one is the gallery, one is the neighborhood of the gallery. So so this work was uh, compiled together in a, in a book that we recently published called House is a House is a House is a House is a House, where we showcased <laughs> five houses. We had five conversations with uh, critics and artists or designers, um, that, are, that are important to us. And we also invited five artists to each do a portrait of these houses. So just to give you a, a, a sense of the book, um, Veronica Kendorf's work. This is Wally Beshti, conceptual artist who took all the stock photograph we had and begin to uh, form a, this cartoon narrative where the speech bubbles and think bubbles are empty, but they begin to approximate the shape of the houses. James Welling's work, um, Jack Pearson's work. So that's that. So uh, now I wanted to show a series of projects quickly in terms of how the idea of scope and view uh, affects our early work, as well as uh, some larger projects that we're broaching and we're dealing with the issue of scale and um, singularity. This is the very first project we ever did. Uh, We worked on it for two weeks and we were fired, or the project died. Um, uh, uh, But recently I read uh, a quote from Francois Truffaut and he said, like... uh, uh, the filmmaker's entire career is already present in his or her first 150 feet of film. So we, we dug up this project. Um, it was a, a little pavilion in Michigan. On one side, it faces a river, a creek. On the other side, if, opposite side, it faces a, a valley. So we basically took two picture windows of the an exact same size, placed one horizontally to face the creek, and we rotated it vertically to face the um, the, the valley. And uh, it's a... It's a uh, elevation and a plan. So it's very simple. We use one curve and we rotate it orthogonally, you know, so sometimes it's convex, sometimes it's concave, um, and connected the two windows and that was the project. It was not really developed, but I think when I look at this project, a lot of the tropes of our later work was already in it, you know, perhaps the whole notion of using a single object, or single element in different ways, or perhaps a, a, a preference for edges uh, over surfaces, um, somehow was in this project already. So uh, this uh, fast forward, like 15 years later, this is a project um, that was uh, in Chile, in in, uh, in the town of Bio Bio region. Uh, this is uh, uh, the whole project was uh, mastermind by uh, Pezo von Ellinghauser. and the auspices was after the 2010 uh, second largest earthquake ever recorded in history. Um, they managed to organize, find some money. Uh, from the reconstruction effort for, uh, to the cultural sector. So what they did was they invited 10 architects um, to each design a pavilion uh, along this Bío Bío region. And, and the concept was that the first years, the first 10 or so years during the uh, reconstruction, that these pavilions will serve the local community. So whether they uh, they need a schoolroom, they need a, a, a governmental office, they will be used for that. And the idea is that after the reconstruction effort is over, there would be exhibitions that could travel from one pavilion to another. So, and and all of us were were given really extremely beautiful sites. You know, ours is located in the middle of a pine pine forest, situated on a bluff overlooking um, the Pacific Ocean. So this is the view we have of our site. The pavilion that the the program that were given to us are quite small. It's about uh, 250 square meters. 250 to 300 square meters. So we were dealt with such a powerful site with this kind of half moon shaped bay. And then we have a tiny little building. So, so what do you do? I, I think so the first instinct we have was to double that building. So that was the first model. You know, you build everything 250 square meters in one room in this half ellipse shape. And then we doubled the room to make an outdoor room with the same shape. Um, just built out of walls. So eventually it became um, the, the building on the left hand side. It's a very simple diagram. Um, there's a, a half ellipse shape that's that's open up to the sky, and then there's another shape that opens up to the to the bay. Um, because the the um, the raison d'etre for this project was based on tragedy, we thought um, having a courtyard as a space that purges one's experience or before one enters into the room seems um, uh, appropriate. So one enters through the courtyard first before you enter into the larger room. So this is a, a, a aerial shot of the model. So you enter into this half ellipse shaped courtyard from the corner, and then if I remove the roof, then you enter into the second room. Um, and then on the side of the rooms are these uh, uh, the, the the ticket the ticket booth, the bathrooms, and the uh, storage. Now this is going to be uh, a tenant is meant for is moving in. Uh, It's a dance school that will occupy this space. Um, So it's a very simple project, you know, I think maybe more complexity in plan, but a very straightforward elevation. It's just a one-story building. Uh, So one enters from from the corner. Uh, This is a collage where we just wanted to keep everything the same. We're gonna keep the ground the same. We just wanted to erect a wall and define that space. So from that space, you enter into the second space. Uh, We have to take out a couple of pine trees for the lot, so we wanted to use the, the trunk of the pine trees to actually do the, uh, form the formwork of the first courtyard because we also think when you walk through the, the pine forest, you, you have developed a cadence, a rhythm, of the scale of the pine trees and the trunk. So we want to recall that again. When you walk into the space, it's almost like a scalping wall of rough concrete, uh, one and a half, two feet deep walls, um, uh, with a very, very rough surface. And then in contrast, when you walk into the enclosed room it's a high, highly polished concrete, so almost like a mirror. Um, we're thinking of uh, the panorama. You know, you see the view, and then you see the view reflected around you. Because I think when you always... When we enter into the room, one is always captivated by the view. So we want people to also see the view, but also are cognizant that they're standing into a room which is asymmetrical, so almost like a theater. So this is a model that we made. We photographed the model. Not, not so much you can see the... the the reflection but you see the horizon line reflected so you feel that the horizon line is is around you so you're cognizant of the the shape of the room and then you also begin visually begin to see the the, the, the half moon shape of the bay um, but, but otherwise it's a it's a very straightforward uh, building um, we did that project uh, funding didn't come the first four or five years we actually just finished the construction documentation for that building. But we, for a while, we thought that project wouldn't happen. Uh, in the meantime, we were invited to design a pavilion for the uh, architectural Biennial in uh, Shanghai, the West Bun Biennial. Um, so we, we thought maybe we can try that idea again. Um, so um, instead of two of these volumes, we have uh, six of them. Um, three of them are facing outwards that are oriented towards different views, and then three of them are facing inwards to form a courtyard. Um, they they told us they wanted it to be a permanent building, but we don't know what they wanted it for. They didn't know either, so we know it was for the exhibition. But now, after the biennial, it's the Shanghai Center of Photography. If we would have known, we would have more straight walls. But... Um, <laughs> So this is right after it was built. Um, uh, This is part of a larger development, a cultural development. Um, uh, There's another pavilion by Yang Hao Chang here. Um, This triangle a lot, there's a a museum planned by David Chipperfield. But when this was built, it was still very rough and raw around. This photograph was taken from the factory uh, right behind it. Um, uh, It's very, uh, the the entry are always in the crevices of the, the elliptical shapes. Um, this is like inside one of the elliptical shapes where you see a view. Uh, there's always a secondary source of light that comes down into the space. This is uh, for uh, the exhibition. Um, you know, the first three houses I showed were, uh, um, in a way, I think we were trying to respond to Reina Banham's uh, reading of Los Angeles from 40 years ago. A lot of you might know the book, The Architecture of Four Ecologies. So in a way, the Hill House was... Uh, we were responding to the foothills, the house in rosario we, we, we were responding to the plains of id the the vault house we were responding to what Banham called the uh, so the the landscape of the beach. The fourth ecology that banham talked about Autopia, you know we never had a chance to address, but in many ways for us, this is the house for utopia. you know the The three uh, pavilions that were facing outwards, we always think of them as garages, you know you can drive around, you can park. And then the way that Los Angeles is becoming denser and denser, houses are becoming much more introverted, so in a way, the, the three more introverted pavilions becomes the house that faces an interior courtyard, so this is the way it was manifested as a, as a pavilion. Sometimes the house looks quite small, depends on the angle, and sometimes it seems much more has more presence. The projects as our projects as our office begin to deal with projects of a larger scale, um, we realize. By aggregating singular volumes, it doesn't really form a, necessarily form a larger coherent whole. So we begin to think of other ways of building a certain coherence. This is a project in Culver City in Los Angeles, and it's a project for the graduate art studios for UCLA, which has, a, this university has a renowned uh, fine arts program. And uh, the building, um, it's not on campus. It's on Culver City, a light industrial area, uh, it's in a 1940s warehouse with bowstring-style um, roof, and over the years, other buildings have been uh, uh, clustered around it like barnacles. Um, it's a very uh, a rough uh, building, but on, on the other hand, also has a lot of character that the School of Arts really um, like. So what we plan to do is actually to first clean up everything around, just bring the, bring the building back into um, the Bowstring Trust warehouse, We propose to expand the floor that's raised about a meter as the new floor so there are no more of these different levels one has to negotiate around. And we plan to extend the facade and pretty much directly copy the facade, not even designing the facade, but take the facade that was there and expand it all the way around. And then we build a new roof around with the same concept of these uh, bolstering trusses. So underneath this large roof, there will be... Uh, quasi-urban spaces. We call one of them the arcade, one of them the plaza, one of them the garden. Um, so this is the uh, existing building without the roof, with the bolstering trusses, and then this L-shape is the new building that we're adding around, um, covered with a, a polycarbonate roof. So some spaces underneath the roof are conditioned buildings, are conditioned interior spaces, and some spaces, like the sculptural courtyard or the garden and such, are spaces that are covered but not conditioned. Um, we have a kind of surreptitious way of entering into the building. Uh, on one hand, it seems very plain and industrial, facing the street. But right around the corner, then you enter into this uh, underneath the roof, into this uh, arcade space over here. Um, it has a. a we, we try to have a quite an anonymous uh, industrial facade, um, and then I think once you enter into the building, one begins to see this kind of greenhouse atmosphere. Like this is the uh, the garden space. This is the existing building that we also add this polycarbonate roof. Uh, this is a crit space. Um, and then this is the, the sculpture courtyard which is right next to the sculpture workshop. So this is a project, we, it's a competition we won about five years ago and now we're, we're starting uh, to do the construction documentation. It takes a long time for fundraising. Um, another project is a project we just won. It's in Chicago for a small performance arts center um, uh, it's right next to this large Washington Park, and some of you might know the artist Theaster Gates, who has been um, uh, active in uh, revitalizing, revitalizing this community uh, through installations and programs and, and his, own, his own work. So this is a project that we're doing in, in collaboration with him. So these are some of his projects, where he, he turned an old bank into this performance art center, he turned his house into a studio, Um, This building is part of a larger lot that's uh, bisected by an elevator uh, train track, the Green Line, and then this is the this is the project we're we're talking about. Some of this has already been uh, renovated. So we wanted to keep the old facade of this building, uh, at the same time introduce a new roof. Uh, Only the facade is, is kept the same, everything is new behind, and it consists of one cinema, one black box theater, and two multi purpose spaces that are like greenhouse spaces, so uh, this is the this is the new roofscape for us it recalls the typical gable house roof as well as an industrial roof, but not big enough to be a large industrial roof. Um, this is the site facing the the train tracks um, this is this is the profile something that is both for us familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. Um, Uh, programmatically you see the two uh, darker spaces are the cinema and the uh, black box theater and the two lighter spaces are these greenhouse courtyards Uh, we we plan to have these uh, we're developing these doors that can open up so when there there are these alternative performances the courtyard could be incorporated into the cinema so this is a model when things are closed this is when things are when the doors are open and this is this this is the view from the street where you see the old facade and the new construction above, you see through the space, you see through the cinema, this is the back, seeing, looking at one of the courtyard spaces. Now you're in the cinema, you, the doors are open, you begin to see one of the um, courtyard spaces. This is the first courtyard space, and then this is the second one. So they're always uh, uh, a sandwich or adjacent to one of these uh, uh, theater spaces. So, in many ways, I would say this project and the previous project the the UCLA are projects where we begin to think of the roof as something that that provides a certain coherence, whether from an urban scale from the exterior in this case to an interior scale in in the school of arts in the in the previous case. We also begin to think if the roof could begin could start as a language to start to colonize future developments along this block this is the potential next phase around two existing buildings and it could continue just as a as an empty structure at the moment We're just thinking of it becoming the scale of a warehouse um, I, I sh- I've shown this before I wanted to show you some other collages that we've done the first two The first two or three were from Julia Shulman photographs, you know We have a, the case study 22. This is the Kaufman house in Palm Springs that we use for the sale house in Venice we are you know, where very interested in this kind of complete kind of Venturian flatness versus uh, an extreme depth of the space or the depth created by the mountain ranges. Um, this was um, uh, uh, from Castelfascio of tirani's uh, that we used for a collage for a building we planned in Rome. Um, this was uh, also in Rome, but the, the background was uh, a photograph of uh, the courtyard of Museum of Modern Art when Marcel Breuer did his experimental house there. Miss van der Rohe for our Autos project. Um, this Mies van der Rohe also for our Hawaiian hut House projects. Later on, we also begin to look at uh, sources from uh, like Italian film. I think this is from The Bicycle Thief. Um, um, this one was from Contempt for the Vault House. This was uh, a collage that we did for um, the Manila Drawing Center. This is for the uh, Roundhouse in uh, Matarana in Spain. Um, this is the, the House in Malibu. Um, this is a, uh, a collage for uh, this uh, retail project that we're doing in uh, Miami, for Design Miami. And this is a collage we did for the MCA in Chicago. So last year's Chicago Biennial, we actually exhibited in parallel both the photographic work, so a selection of the photographic work from the artists on one side and the collages on the other side that uh, some of them were, were not booked. So I'm going to show very quickly three projects um, to end, uh, three, pro- three museum-scale projects. that uh, This one we just started, and then the, the last one, the Manila it's under construction, it will be finished in about half a year. Um, this is the, the first project is a the, uh, the project that was finished in 1986. It was designed by Rata Isosaki in Los Angeles. It was the Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, those of you who might know this project, when it was built, there was nothing around it um, was really the first uh, cultural institution in this cultural corridor, um, but uh, things have changed quite a bit. Uh, this was the, the uh, silkscreen that Isosaki did, was these pure forms, these Euclidean forms, really sitting almost like a desert in, in a context that's really nothing around. These are also Isosaki's vas- uh, uh, elevations. These are shots of the context when it was built on Bunker Hill. It was really like a ship on top of a dry dock, um, but over the years, this is 86, and this is what it is now. um uh, uh, um, uh Broad Art Center was finished. Harley Holtzman Pfeiffer's <coughs> Music Center, uh, a sleuth of hotels, and, and high-rises were built around. So it's really a little village that's been dwarfed by these high-rises. So this is the situation now. Um, its relationship with other cultural institutions, the, the Disney's uh, Concert Hall of Gary's, this was Isosaki's view, and this is what it is now. So there are a lot of problems uh, with, the, with, the, uh, with the project in terms of wayfinding, in terms of identity. So what we're doing right now is, the, the first step is really to clear up the, 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 the open spaces. Like right now, people walk up to the plaza, they don't know where they're going, they thought the plaza belongs to the hotel behind, so we plan to, one first thing we do is we plan to put a wall to close off the plaza, so there's still uh, openings on other sides you can come in, but you you, you feel like you are at the presence of Mocha, that you have arrived to Mocha when you're in this sculpture plaza. Um, the second thing we wanted to do, where you can see there's a, there's a canopy on the right-hand side that was added later. There was this box for, for ticketing that always causes confusion or lines that block circulation. So we, we plan to uh, clean up that area, remove the box, have the, have the ticketing downstairs, um, remove the canopy, so it's a much more coherent courtyard spaces where uh, sculptures could occur. Um, And then the sunken courtyard is where one enters into the building. This is this uh, famous, Isosaki calls it the Marilyn Monroe Curve um, uh, for the cafe. And then we actually propose to uh, extend that and bring the bookstore downstairs. This is what it is now, looking back up. We propose to remove the canopy, and this becomes a more uh, dignified space. We move the restaurant upstairs so you don't see all the the, the food and all the things before you get into the, the art experience the lobby, you know, how we open it up. So it's, in a way, we're, we're trying to um, imagine the building the way that Isosaki would have imagined if he's doing the building today with a knowledge of the, the current context. Huh? So it's a very simple uh, move. Like, this is what it is now. This, these are the things we're removing. These are the things we're adding. Um, our goal is to make it as invisible as possible. Um, we're also studying the addition of new galleries, so this is the process we're in right now. If we have to increase the gallery spaces, how can we add a second floor to it? The second, pro- the second museum project is the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. And uh, this is a building completed in 1996. So 20 years ago, it was designed by uh, Josef Paul Kleihus of, uh, of uh, Berlin. Um, um, those of you that know the site, it's a really a magnificent site. It has a park that goes all the way out to, to, the, to the lake, to Lakeshore Drive. The Mies Mandaro apartments are very close by. Um, you can see from the aerial view, the park is not altogether there yet. There's a tennis court, there are some baseball diamonds. Um, this is a controversial building. Huh? It's uh, done in a very neo-rationalist way. With a certain degree of abstraction and a very uh, forbidding grid, that organizing everything within the building. Um, some people thought it didn't take advantage of the, uh, the the view or how it's situated as a very hermetic nature of the, of the building. Furthermore, it's 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 raised, uh, like the uh, Altes National Gallery. You know, this kind of classical spaces where you have walk up to and worship the art. So th- it's a it's a challenging building. Um, uh, furthermore, there are a lot of interior issues in terms of it 's a symmetrical building, but the interior is asymmetrical so uh, and then the other side where 're facing the park, the landscape is quite subdivided, so you don 't really it doesn 't have a natural flow of getting from the park up to the building or vice versa. So what we wanted to have a better connection you know the east west connection to the lake and to Michigan Avenue, which is the the uh, the main thoroughfare of Chicago. We want to increase the amount of public circulation around the base and make it more open. And we wanted to increase the circulation of the building. So that's the first phase. So one by one, we, we study the circulation path of the existing building floor by floor. We propose to open everything up. So we add new stairs. And also in the in a, in a same way, we add the same shape of stairs that Plyhus did. So not imposing something new, but almost like multiplying what was there. This is the second floor. It was asymmetrical we added another stair, and then we also added the, some double-height spaces, we added new floors to accommodate new program. Also to um, exemplify the, the spatial hierarchies of the double and triple-height spaces. Um, the fourth floor, these are the new floors. Um, these are the double-height spaces that we thought was a bit uh, unnecessary, that we propose uh, uh, adding a floor and, and using the second floor for, other pur- for educational purposes. Uh, at the Chicago Biennial last year, we were invited to do an installation, and we actually used the installation as a mock-up of how the floor would look like in this space. This is called uh, a grid is a grid is a grid is a grid as a grid. Um, yeah, we like tautologies. <laughs> um, so this is what the building is now. This is the first phase of, of connecting to the upper floor and adding another floor. And then the second phase will entail the, the, the fourth floor as well as... Uh, re, uh, designing the base of the building on one hand reinforcing its presence on the other hand having more apertures around so this is what it is now this is what it would be um, and then the back side this is what it is now and then we're designing a landscape that makes it much more um, conductive on one hand uh, creating a frame around the building but much easier to walk from the park up to the building um, the second phase of this project, we're looking into a uh, extension. So it is very early in the stage of the building, but this extension, we again we're duplicating the same grid, but then clad the building in this type of uh, all-canned aluminum. Uh, we saw how the um, SOM's Inland Steel building, after 60 years, you know, it's not as taut anymore, slightly crumbling. I thought it's not as intense as, as Gary's, um, uh, all canning in the surfaces, but it has this very light way of reflecting the light. We thought it would be a great surface uh, to to face the lake. Um, the interior atrium was there, was now. And then we were studying how the building relate to the park in relationship to how other art institutes within Chicago is related to the park. So the last project I'll show is the um, the Menil Drawing Institute um, in Houston, Texas. Um, it's a 30-acre campus. Um, uh, it's uh, founded by the de Menils. Uh, they moved to Houston from, from France, from the Schlumberger and the Menil family. Uh, they were patrons of, of the arts. The 1971, they commissioned the Rothko Chapel, originally designed by Philip Johnson. Later on, got into a fight with Rothko with the Four Seasons and it was finished by Howard Brownstone, a local architect. 80s, uh, they commissioned Louis Kahn to do a master plan, but not long after both John de Menil and Louis Kahn died and the project was shelved. Um, uh, in the 80s, they commissioned Louis Barragan to do a house. Uh, in the neighborhood, it was also designed but never, never executed. And not until 1987 that uh, Dominic de Menil hired uh, Renzo Piano to build um, the, uh, his first American building, the Menil Collection. And 10 years later, Piano did the Cy Twombly Gallery, Uh, Francois de Menil did the Byzantine Chapel, and then in this existing building, which was an old market hall, was uh, Dan Flavin's last installation. So these are some of the images of the campus, you know, uh, um, the Dan Flavin's last installation, Byzantine Chapel, Piano's de Menil, these two, this is the uh, Cy Twombly Gallery, and this is the the Rothko Chapel. Uh, I, I would say all of these spaces has a very distinctive way of dealing with natural light. You know, whether the Manila Collection, you have a very a beautiful natural way that natural light is coming in, and, or site that has a scrim. Uh, but even darker spaces like like Wathko and the Byzantine Chapel, they're natural light that comes in in strategic areas that, hi, that highlights that type of darkness. There's also a kind of spiritual quality about these spaces that are, recalls uh, chapels or, or churches or something that is uh, liturgical. Uh, this is the, 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 the landscape, the, how the art uh, populates the landscape, works by Michael Heitzer, Mark Suvero, uh, Tony Smith, and such. But I would say the most distinctive quality about this neighborhood are these pre-war houses that the Manila bought and they preserve them, and they're all painted in a uh, gray color with white trims. So if you go there, you drive past the, the regular neighborhood, and suddenly you're in this area that's all like black and white, and uh, and you know you're in the in the Manila neighborhood. And I, I think the preservation of these buildings were kind of important to create the atmosphere of the the Manila campus. And and then the last thing that really defines it would be. Uh, these oak trees that were everywhere around the Houston Basin, you know, with the temperature and the sun, the oak tree really creates a lot of generous uh, shades, some of them are more than 100 years old. Um, so when we started the project, which is an a, 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 a institute for works on paper, works on drawing, we were looking back at the, the history of architecture of Menil, which started off with a house by Philip Johnson in Houston that the Menils commissioned him to do. It was his very first house that himself was not the client. And it's clearly in this kind of mise brick house phase. But in many ways, we think that the Philip Johnson house already has a lot to do with uh, Renzo Piano's building. When you look at the interior, it's a series of courtyards that was in the house that was transposed into the uh, Renzo Piano building. So, and also this kind of tropical plants, because the the manilas lived in Caracas, uh, you know so, this kind of surreal collection of African artifacts, indigenous American artifacts, surrealism, modern art all comes together already in the house. So the house for us has already the DNA of the Renzo Piano building so this is this is the the, 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 the plan right now, the the existing plan right now, and this is the master plan that was done by David Chipperfield five years ago to expand the campus, which includes new single artists pavilions, auditorium buildings. And this is the building we're in charge of, this is the, the Drawing Institute and as well as the Energy House. So it was the first time that the Twombly Gallery is exposed as a single object. So this is the site that was given to us. And, and what we did was, so this is a Twombly, and this is the Manil Collection. So what we did was we wanted to preserve some of the trees that are there. So the concept was to build courtyards around the trees, almost like uh, uh, flower pots for the trees, and then to connect these courtyards to form the building, um, so we went beyond the boundary of the uh, the site that was in, uh, inscribed to us, um, and then we wanted to create a very uh, domestically scale. Spaces like exhibition spaces. Uh, this was uh, not unlike the the pre-war houses that are around the neighborhood. We had long discussions with the uh, curators and the director. Uh, a majority of the collection are surrealist works, so they're very domestically scaled. You know, so uh, works on paper are drawings. They desire a certain type of immediacy and, and intimacy to look at these drawings. So, I think unlike a lot of curators, they. They didn't want this building to be a building for everything. Like So they said if they have Richard Serra drawings that are 30 feet long, then we don't have to worry about it. We can exhibit it in the main building. So they wanted it to be a very site-specific building or specific building for this specific collection. The whole thing is unified by a single roof. These are the, the structural drawings that we work with at uh, Guy Nornsson. Um The original concept is basically a, a single thin sheet of paper that's slightly folded, and expands out and embrace the landscape around. Um, so it's very simple, uh, three courtyards and three buildings united by one roof. Um, single-story building, the whole new campus, you don't really have a second floor that the public would get into, you don't have a bookstore, uh, you don't have a shop, you just walk from directly from the outside and into the building and art is right there. So it's a very uh, immediate experience that we try to capture. Um, this is the this is the site right now and this is what we're doing. So so this is this is our building and together with Twombly and the new energy house it forms a new more intimate scale outdoor space for sculptures. Uh, we also see this as a a center where people you don't even want to be look at the drawings can pass through the building when they walk from one, one building to the other. So it's in a way a geographic center of the new campus that expands towards the south. The three buildings, the gallery space, the private space for uh, scholars and artists to study the work, an administration building, and then three courtyards connected by the roof. The works on paper are very sensitive to natural light. Uh, those of you who dealt with uh, work, uh, uh, works on paper, you know, you have uh, basically five-foot candles. And you. So for us, the challenge is how can you bring someone from walking from the outside with this extreme brightness and sun into a space that is dark but you don't, we don't want to create this kind of matinee effect where you walk from a dark space to a bright space but we want it to prolong and extend that experience so in many ways uh, the trees uh, the, sh- the shade that was offered by the trees become a natural shadow and then we begin to architecturalize the space as, turn it into a courtyard so you progressively move from one space that is Uh, uh, brighter to some place that's darker and darker and darker, and eventually you're into the space of, these are some of the diagrams with our lighting engineer to study the progression of a dark space which is represented by the red light to the, eventually the dark space which is the the blue light. So on one side it faces the future new garden which is quite large, so we thought the building needs to have a certain presence. Uh, The building is actually smaller than what it seems to be because the two white steel walls Uh, with courtyards behind them. So they're uh, actually open spaces. Um, This is the edge of that view in relationship to Twombly and the new energy house that formed this uh, new sculpture garden. So um, if I go back, you can see the corner of the building. You can enter here if you come from the south versus if you're coming from the north. You enter from the corner and you are exposed to this uh, western uh, courtyard. The landscape is by Michael van Valkenburg. Um, diagonally you basically you see the entry to the building so the porch basically um, surrounds the house and then in contrast this is the eastern courtyard which has a much more domestic landscape because it's closer to the single family houses this is the living room that connects the two courtyards together so this is the public space where you can see actually all three courtyards the east and the west as well as the, the the scholar courtyard and then this is the gallery space Adjacent to it, and this is the the northern courtyard where the scholars and the artists are and adjacent to the scholar courtyard, this is the drawing room where curators and artists will come and have more direct uh, um, uh, encounter with the drawings and this is a space the only space that has natural light coming, in the art is there because unlike exhibition spaces, the art that passes through this area would not be for that long a period of time, but we wanted to create the same type of space for. Uh, the back of house spaces where the the, the workers are this is the, um, the the library for the conservation laboratory for example so while sometimes the building seems larger sometimes the building seems smaller or made out of uh, constructed out of uh, smaller pavilions you know and then this is this is the view where uh, it all comes together and then the cantilever two cantilevers come together and form the entry living room that recalls the shape of the uh, um, pre-war houses, so we we design our building, we put it back into the family and compare to the, the the plans and sections of the houses and see how our courtyard scheme fits with the house, fits with the Manila, and and becomes. We almost want to reconstruct the history between the Philip Johnson House and the Renzo Piano House as if our building happened in between them chronologically. This is the view from the. Um, The main building. So you're walking towards the Sai Lee Gallery, you begin to see the building, you're walking past the building now. So we have uh, thin uh, white painted steel walls. We remember the quote of Louis Bargan, he said, the white wall gives the shadow of the tree a place to rest. And then when you walk past the white wall, you see these uh, wooden cladded buildings with two foot wide strips. Uh, You walk into the living room This is the view of a cat, and you begin to see the different courtyards. And From the living room adjacent to the gallery space, we see the living room as a space that is a multi-purpose space like shaker houses where one could use it for events or lectures as well as a a curator could co-curate something else that is less light sensitive next to the drawing show. The cloister around uh, the drawing room, this is the drawing room on the left, The gallery space on the right, only two windows. We wanted to bring light in in a lateral way, so much more domestic as opposed to coming from the top. This is the gallery on the right when it's completely open, but most of the time would be subdivided into smaller rooms. This is the drawing room again. There's raking light that's coming on the side with these railings. This is the eastern courtyard. We thought a lot of the, uh, we looked a lot at uh, Otto van Eyck's church, um, the Wheels of Heaven. We he talked about these courtyard spaces that, are, that both belong to the build building as well as the, uh, the outdoor space. And in, in many ways, we thought of our courtyard similar to that. And then this is the view facing the, the future sculpture courtyard that's almost the same size as the northern courtyard that's existing. So that's the end of my talk. Thank you very much.